The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful people. This is Da Vinci Parks, aka Lee Bennett III, on www.flashblackradio.com. This is the health and wellness segment, uh, and I am so fortunate to have again a good friend goes way, 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 way back, Dr. Charlie Brown. Dr. Brown is a transpersonal psychologist. And she's going to sit in and talk with us again. Last time we were talking a lot, we talked about duality and mm-hmm. uh, we talked about emotion and and how we don't necessarily know how to emote. And well, there, there were a lot of things. It was, it, was a, it was a wide ranging discussion. But I believe where we left off was we said we wanted to get back into, I guess, the root of where some of that starts. That, that inability to perhaps emote properly or how our emotions are stunted at such an early age. And one of the things I was asking was like, is it perhaps one of those things where, you know, they tell little boys to behave a particular way that doesn't seem boy-like in the same for little girls? You know, like that's not what girls do. That's not what boys do. So uh, like, what do you, uh, do you think the, the, the hemming up of, of those emotions at an early age is, is kind of where it begins for some of us or a lot of us? Yes. We are socialized. So in my experience, I've been an educator for a long time. In my experience, boys are socialized. Well, Johnny, if you would just sit still and focus, you can get this done. And girls are socialized. You are so smart. Those are two very different directions to be socialized in. And what's complicit, what's implicit in both of those are how we as a society feel, quote, men should be and masculine things and, quote, women and feminine things could be or should be. And so the should is is a key part of that. In about sixth grade, when school gets hard, boys who have been socialized, if you would just sit and focus, you can get this thing done are fine. Girls, we note that their self-esteem plummets in about sixth grade. It's about 11 or 12. Because having been so smart, school is suddenly hard. They don't have any tools in their toolbox to to go find information and then figure it out. They don't have tools to figure this thing out. So they I don't was know smart how up to, to. I was smart up until this point. Now it's not as easy. So am yes. I not as smart anymore? Yes. And their self-esteem plummets mm. because I don't know the answer doesn't turn into, oh, I can go find the answer. It turns into this thing that I have been praised for all of this time is no longer true. And I'm, I'm freaking out about it. And so, yes, most of these things are socialized in us f- before about age five. By the time by the time age five arrives for most children, they have a solid identity. Uh, but that identity is based on what is acceptable in their, their whatever is raising them, whatever mm-hmm. environment is raising them, whether that's a household or not. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, whatever the big people in that environment think and believe, that is what is in, ingrained and becomes intrinsic 
into children. And that comes at both a cellular genetic level, but also at, I talked briefly about in our last time together, epigenetics, which is the idea that instead of taking our cells taking direction from DNA internally, they are taking direction from the environment to say, oh, here's what's happening cells. This is what you need to do in response. And so I think both are at play, but most ideas, most core identity beliefs are ingrained in a child by the time they are five years old, certainly by the time they are 10 years old. Um, And so this, as a society, we don't know how to emote. We don't know how to actually feel hard feelings, difficult feelings. And so that's just, we just model that. We just model that generation after generation after generation. This is the first time men are allowed to feel anything at all other than anger. Um, what is the and, first time you're talking about in this day and age? Or are we talking about a specific age? Uh, I'm talking about in this day and age. Okay. Now, now th- this moment of collective now, okay. this is the first time men have in a long time, in maybe five or 10,000 years. So certainly in modern history. Um, what, what I also know is that societies used to be peaceful because there was more egalitarian balance. There were, yes, there were things that men did and things that women did, but those were so intertwined that one could not function without the other. And so we've moved away from that. We've moved into a much more dichotomous but individualistic um, sphere of what men do, what women do, which is now the pot is being stirred by individuals such as people who identify as being transgendered, where they're like, well, I'm not this. I'm not, you know, I'm not on one end of the spectrum. I'm somewhere in the middle where everything really is a spectrum. The the, the world doesn't exist in absolutes. We pretend like it it exists in absolutes, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Everything is on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because we've been in this duality, we've been in this strong sense of dichotomy, it must be either this or that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we go to spectrum thinking, there's much more space for both and. Both of these things can exist and be seemingly paradoxical. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, I think that identity matters absolutely start at very early ages, including um, in the womb. We there there are studies at my school where children remember being born. They remember birth mm-hmm. and w- most kids can remember it until they're about 10. But whoever asks this of a, of a child, mm-hmm. do you remember being born? Because that's not in line with kind of our broader United States worldview. It's not in, it's not in line with our broader societal wor- worldview, who we think we are as a society mm-hmm. and the types of ideas we purport to espouse. Um, and so these things, we, we take it in an individual level. We also take it in a collective level. In my house, one of the unspoken rules was that only one sibling can do any particular thing. Mm. So what I did, I, I did my master's thesis on myself, which I do not recommend. <laughs> I did a one-woman show. I wrote and performed a one-woman show with no theater background because... The theater was not the thing I was allowed to do. It was the unspoken rule. It caused me quite a bit of anxiety to be singing and actually performing on a stage because those were not things I had been allowed to do. A different sibling had taken on those aspects. And I was I was really anxious about that. Um, and just most people don't also get to a point where they want to unravel these things. 
Uh, we've been existing so in so, certain. So the question I have to ask is, what made you? Well, not what. How did you get to that point? How did you know you were at that point? What made you want to take it on? I don't know. I remember that my advisor. She asked me because I was going, I knew I was, when I started graduate school, I knew I was going on for a doctorate. And so why not, why not, you know, kind of get all this done as quickly as possible is sort of how I was thinking about it at the time. My advisor said, so for my, my master's thesis, I wanted to get started on my dissertation research. My advisor said, she's from, I believe, Houston, so Southern accent. She says, well, that's great, Charlie. But what if this was your opportunity to do something you've always wanted to do, but were too afraid to try? That's a that's a big whoosh. <laughs> um, and I don't I honestly don't even know where one woman show came from. I don't know that I had ever had that thought prior to that moment. And then my the Capricorn in me was like, we must do it. We must finish it. This thing that we said we we're going to do. But it became it became a rite of passage in its own its own for its own value in for me uh, to do that and you know and I had I was really enamored with one of the professors who was uh, he, she's a, a couple of them are tremendous storytellers and just kind of enamored with her stage presence and so she she was a consultant for me mm-hmm. on my show as well she gave me some tips and pointers because again I have I had zero theater background at that time but you know how to um, stand on the stage but what? You knew how to stand on the stage. I know that. Oh, that's a low key. You're putting me out there. <laughs> okay. I will. I will. Mr. I will, Mr. Parks. I, I, will, I will back <laughs> off. I apologize. Funny thing is that Lee and I met on the poetry scene in D.C. when I was in college. And so that. Undergrad college. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so that was a With number of years ago. Yeah. All these degrees. You got to be specific. At this uh, point, yeah, I tapped out. Uh, so yeah, okay. So, um, all right. So now we're in this day and age. Men are allowed to emote. Um, we were understanding things function on spectrums. Um, that that gender, for example, is not binary. It's you know it's on the spectrum, and you can be one end of the spectrum. You can be on the other end of the spectrum. You can start off in one place of the spectrum and shift at some point. Um, all these things are possible. Um, what is that? Uh, what type of conflict does that bring about on a societal level? Do you, do you think? Do you, do, you, do you think we're having a bit of a, a personality crisis because we are very much a white male cisgendered identity when this country was founded? And it's like, you know, landowners were pretty much this be all end all of like what America is and what it stands for. And now this whole credo that they've been uh, espousing or, you know, saying for like the last 250 plus years in terms of the land of the free, home of the brave and all that stuff. Now, like, do we actually have to live that out? Do we actually, are we, do we owe that to people? Like, I believe that we are each co-creators and that we create the world that we live in. I believe that this particular, yes, I would call it an identity crisis for the United States. This came about in part when meditation and yoga got popular. Oh, we were talking in our last time together, we were talking about um, identity and... Are you about to blame all this on Downward Dog? 
and sun well, salutations. No, I'm not blaming it on that. Blaming. I'm saying Look, that a lot of yoga pants is getting up in a bunch right now. You better, you better come with it. That's fine. Okay. Um, All right. So if you, we talked about you testing, right? You said that a particular situation in your life was a test. You said you believe this thing and, but that it wasn't really your choice. And then this was a test, right? I say, I believe this thing and now I need to enact it. And that's what happens. If you, if you go into meditation and you want to meditation, as we understand it in this country has very Buddhist slants. Um, as far as ideas about suffering and nirvana and that sort of thing. Um, those come from a very Buddhist dialectic, I would say. And so the idea that we are all one, non-duality, non-duality in this sense at its absolute, right? We are all one means that you have to find yourself one with the homeless person who you've walked by for t- every year for 10 days and don't know their name and have never shared a meal with them. You have to, if we are all one, it really has to be all. So if we say we want this more peaceful world, we have to really see how unpeaceful the world has been and still be able to be able to enact what we consider peacefulness. And so, yes, yes, I do think that the budding of consciousness more broadly has created things for us to be conscious about that we perhaps were not collectively conscious about before. Hmm. Okay, so uh, with that line of thinking, you know, sometimes it's just like, you know, just like just throw out other points of discussion. Uh, with that line of thinking, could we also not just tie into that the idea that religion is now a question in this country just as sexuality and gender are now a question like i remember for example when i was younger i knew there was such thing as gay people but i didn't really understand all the things that went along with what gay meant i just knew it was frowned upon and coming from a black household we didn't really talk about it. <laughs> right. So there was that. So, you know, it wasn't like, and so I went out into like undergrad with very fixed ideas on what gay was and like, you know, what was acceptable and what, what was not. And then just like actually having conversations primarily in the beginning with women who were mm-hmm. either bisexual or, or straight up just, you know, they're lesbians or whatever, having conversations with them. Because I can identify we had similar interests. Get it? So, <laughs> so like, yeah. No, no, that wasn't that wasn't a joke. I'm just being real. That was that was. It made it easier for me to have these conversations in the beginning with that or whatever. And and then like it's one like okay, but not to get too far off course. Uh, religion is now an issue because before it was like it was the unsaid thing. Like, of course you're going to be Christian. It's just what type of Christian are you going to be? You know, because like, you know, back then it was like, it was like puritanical. You had Calvinism. Eventually that died off. So Presbyterianism, fine. You got Catholicism. You can be like Protestant, you can be Roman Catholic, you know, you want to be Baptist. Oh, you got oh, evangelical. You can be that. You can be all these things, but Christian is what you're going to be. But now we have yeah. all these other things now where like, you know, the, the country, uh, you know, is is constantly relearning its these little small micro lessons in terms of like you know on a plane that people have wraps on their head or whatever like oh they're Muslim like no they're Sikhs 
uh, like like calm down, like like yo, it's two different religions, uh, different regions. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, so it's just these things that we got to learn these things now that we didn't have to learn before, and I think it's also that way with regard to like gender and all that. So I could it be that all these things are now with media. And the fact that we have such an influx and we are becoming more visually diverse is not something that is just is just your cab driver that's like, you know, of Middle Eastern descent. Now it's your doctor. You get it? Right. Uh, now, now your doctor uh, or is, is Indian, not just the person behind the counter at the deli. You know what I mean? Like, you know, now now the person who's giving you like, you know, like, you know, advice in an office is not, you know, necessarily white. They might be Hispanic. You know what I mean? So it's just like it's it's changing the 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 landscape in those ways. So these conversations, like you know, this diversity, is happening whether people want it or not, and as a result, is also causing that because these cultures come in. They people come in with their culture when they're not, you know, forced here against their will and stripped of it. Right. I think that diversification is the pushback against colonialism at a global level for a long time in. Recent memory, most people can remember a time and place when Britain, which darn near took over the whole world, and representations of Britain, uh, despite the queen being a woman, um, being just very male and very white and very British. And that that has become the standard, the status quo. And so there's pushback against even that as a status quo. Why is it that this one way is the only way and is the right way? I once read an article in grad school. I can't give you specific details on it, but it was about, or like, I don't even know who it's by. Um, It was about kind of decolonizing colonialism. The British who excelled at colonials and they excel at coming in and taking over by force. That idea in and of itself um, is very masculine to be able to aggressively take over this thing. Um, Britain would go to a place, despite that the people in this place have been, let's say, let's say cultivating a plant um, for thousands of years. They are the keepers of this plant. Britain would go in, take the plant back to laboratories in Britain and then study it and then become experts on it. And then sell this, sell at some price or another, sell this expertise back to the people they colonized. And so that as a system, colonialism as a structure, as an infrastructure has dominated our world for the last two to five thousand years it's interesting because there's so many different aspects of how colonialism colonialism happened and so when you when you were talking about uh taking a plant cultivating a plant i i went in completely because my mind was i was i was trying to get ahead of where you were you went in a completely different direction <laughs> my mind went to um i think it's peru i can't remember specifically but there's a culture uh what's the uh, is, it, is it couscous that the grain everybody loves? I, I can't remember. Yes, it, it's a grain. Basically, this this uh, indigenous these indigenous peoples survived. It was their chief grain, and basically right. to to impart you know, first to take over something, you got to get rid of the undesirables and people that are going to fight back. 
And one of the ways of doing that is like you you burn down their chief food source or you get rid of their chief food source or whatever. So they become less able and less willing to fight. So they tried to burn out this entire vegetation out, which was the chief. And it's the same thing that happened with the buffalo. You know, why buffaloes are buffalo are not, you know, prevalent anymore in this country because they were hunted to almost to the point of extinction. Uh for the chief purpose, because like the Native American or the native, the indigenous people, uh, used it from the rooter to the tutor, just like we did with like, you know, the pig, whatever. We like it was they used the bones, they used the the hide, used it like the entrails. Everything had a purpose. It wasn't just you're just taking a little bit of meat and just leaving the rest to rot. You know, right. that type of deal. So when you when you went with that direction and colonialism, like, oh, she's okay. That's a, that's more to it than that. But I know you know that. I was just like, I was like it was so it sounds so it's sinister, but it doesn't sound as yeah. Okay. We'll, go well it's also <laughs> wastefulness is a is a byproduct of colonialism. To not use the whole buffalo is it's just wasteful. It's it's a destabilization of an ecosystem. It was intentional too. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, because the buffalo is also is also sacred to many, many tribes, uh, indigenous tribes here. And there's you know, one of the one of the creation stories. So creation stories. So literature, however, whatever term that means in any given time is also part of colonialism. Right. So everybody else's creation stories are myth. But the Bible is true. And if you look at that, for, you're like, oh, the, the, the creation story in the Bible is no different than anyone else's myth. Uh, but white, white buffalo calf woman is one of is considered deity among numerous indigenous tribes here uh, in the United States. Yeah. That's another aspect of colonialism, colonialism right there. You know, come in and say, yo, your God is trash, son. Right. But like, yo, mine you, is you, not. You should, mine yeah, is, you should holler my is, God. My God is better than your God. Like your God. Yes. I mean, like, watch, watch what I do to you and your God don't do, do nothing to stop it. Right. So all of these things were used as tools. Religion was used as a huge tool of colonialism. Um, and, and just, but identifying how, how structural they are now, how when the whole world was forced to pretend to want to be like Britain, that that is still absolutely having ramifications now. Because the idea that to be white, male, and cisgendered is not the be all end all is not what I'm aiming for. It's not the behaviors I'm aiming for. White cisgendered men have been, have caused so much harm and so much violence. And so it's also, it, that comes back to identity too, to, to suddenly be the hated thing. Of course, you're not going to let go easily. If you, if you're trying to, from my perspective, kill my kind off, and I would I would say that level of threat is what has been felt by white men. Um, this is this is their last stand. This is them trying to fight back as best they know how in the ways that they know how, which are antiquated and outdated. I don't think we even need to like. Was there anything else that we need to? <laughs> that, that was a that was a that was a comfortable cutting point on that one right there. Like, yeah, okay. okay. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, for uh, sitting back in with us again. That that was that went that went faster than the last one did. I was, I, 
Uh, yeah. Uh, did you have something else you want to add? Like you're like you know, I felt I felt I felt present when that happened. No. Okay. I think we're good. You know, my deep breaths were in. We're all in place. Yeah. There we go. All right. All right. Well, Dr. Brown, thank you again for your time and your energy. It's always appreciated. Uh, can you tell the people what you are doing right now and how they can find you? Thanks, Lee. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and sit with you. Yes, people can find me on drcharliebrown.com. Charlie with just an I, brown like the color, or Facebook slash Dr. Charlie Brown. Uh, same thing, spelled the same way, rather. And just working on getting these, I call them transpersonal tools. We'll come up with a different name at some point, but they're kind of everyday everyday tools for wellness. Uh, how can we be well in, in the everyday, in the moment, kind of day-to-day, moment-to-moment? And so you can find out more about both of those on either website or on Facebook. And again, thank you so much for having me, Lee. It's always a pleasure. Indeed. Thank you for uh, coming on. Appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to listen to us. We appreciate it. And we ask that you continue to come back, tune in. Also, we ask that you share with your people. Let them know that we are here. And again, this is www.flashblackradio. This is Culture Shock, specifically health and wellness on Culture Shock. I am Da Vinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III. Thank you so much. Stay blessed. Stay woke.